Oh, yeah, this will be perfect. Man, what a great day. eBay.com. <laughs> Username. Password. Sign in. Yep, that's me. All right, where's the file? I've never actually sold anything on here before. I usually just buy. There it is. Sell. Click. Okay, here we go. Casket for sale. Almost perfect condition. Low mileage. <laughs> never been used. 50 bucks. You've got mail. Hey, I've already got mail. Hey, wow, someone interested in the casket. Man, I must have really good writing skills. Yeah, here's what he says. All right, dear seller, I want to buy your casket. Is it in good shape? I said it was. Yes, it's in great shape. I've never used it. <laughs> deal or no deal? You've got mail. Oh, okay, what now? I want to see it before I buy it. Fine. Okay. You can come try it out if you'd like. I'm using a hot spot in the middle of a church. And if you don't mind a whole bunch of people staring at you, it's not a bad place to work. You've got mail. Wow, this guy is fast. I'll be right over. Hello. Are you the guy with the casket for sale? Yeah. Uh, how'd you get here so fast? Oh, I just work right over there in Kids World. Oh. Ooh, let's see this casket. Nice. Nice. Very nice, white, good color. So, uh, it's never been used, right? I've never died. Well, obviously. Okay, let's see here. Okay, okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, wait a second, there's a big dent in it. Uh, yeah, well, my wife backed into it with a car. <laughs> I thought you, your ad said it was in perfect condition. Well, actually, my ad said it was in almost perfect condition. It's 50 bucks, man. Well, that's true. We'll say it's in perfectly good condition. <laughs> so why are you getting rid of it? I might not die. Besides, I could use the extra cash. That's right. I might not have to die. And how do you figure that? I believe in Jesus. Well, so do I. I'm a Christian. I know that if I, when I die, I'll go to heaven, but I've still got to die. Not all of us will, because when Jesus comes back for us, we'll be taken up with him. We won't die. We'll just fly away. That's why I don't need the casket. So we might not die. We might not need a casket. Wait a minute. Everyone needs a casket on hand. I, you know, besides, I have a really small house. Well, if I'm not going to die, I'm not going to buy a casket. Well, you know, everyone should have one on hand just in case. Oh, I don't need that casket. Thanks for showing me I might not die. We'll see you later. Sure. <sighs> okay. Casket for sale. $50. Don't talk to me. 
my name and you called it long before I learned to breathe. Sometimes I feel disappointed by the way I spend my time. How can I further your kingdom when I'm so wrapped up in mine? Cause in the blink of an eye, that is when I'll be closer to you than I've ever been. Time will fly, but until then, I'll embrace every moment I'm given. There's a reason I'm alive for a blink of an eye. Although I'm living a good life, can my life mean something great? I have to answer this question before it's too late. Cause in the blink of an eye, that is when I'll be closer to you than I've ever been. Time will fly, but until then, I'll embrace every moment I'm given. There's a reason I'm alive for the blink of an eye. If I give the very best of me, what that becomes my legacy. So tell me, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Cause in the blink of an eye, that is when I'll be closer to you than I've ever been. Time will fly, but until then, I'll embrace every moment I'm given. In the blink of an eye, but that is when I'll be closer to you than I've ever been. The time will fly, but until then, I'll embrace every moment I'm given. Well, I think all of us know, at least after last week, that God didn't intend us for this life. I mean, the great life is the life to come, and this life can be pretty cruddy at times. But my question for you this morning is, <clears throat> what's your escape plan? How do you plan to get out of here? I talk to people a lot about what's going to happen when they die or what happens when this life is over and how they plan to get in the life to come. One of the things that comes to me, I mean, first of all, I'm amazed at how little people know about that, and that's why our series, Glimpse, is going on. But the, the second thing is probably the thing that catches my attention the most, and that is that most people seem to have some sense that they will have control over it. Like, I talk to people and say, well, you know, are you going to heaven? I, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I may go to hell and hang out with my buddies, and we'll go down there, and we'll be drinking, and we'll be talking, and we'll be partying and stuff. And it's like, they're going to still have control when they go to hell. You know, I talk to people, well, you know, I'm going to heaven. I know I must be, and when I get there, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and this is how I'm going to go, and I expect to be doing this. 
And the truth of the matter is, when we get to the end of our lives, however it ends, we're not going to have any control over it. I just want you to know that. You say, well, I just don't like religion, and I don't, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable here today, and you guys are kind of freaking me out and put a casket up here on the stage, and, and uh, maybe I went to a judgment house this week, and I thought, I'm just going to come see what kind of warped church we'll put this on, and, 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 and I just, I don't have any like for God or any, any use for God or religion or anything. But my question for you is this, what's your plan? How do you plan to get out? Because chances are, if you're not following Jesus, you kind of think in your heart that you're going to have some control over this. I remember several years ago reading a story about a guy named Larry Walters. I don't know if this rings a bell with any of you. If you, if you remember, maybe you've just you know, read about his story on the Internet or whatever, but it's, it's just kind of Americana. It's legend. Uh, Larry's boyhood dream was to fly. When he graduated from high school, he joined the Air Force in hopes of becoming a pilot. Unfortunately, poor eyesight disqualified him. When he was finally discharged, he had to satisfy himself with watching jets fly over his backyard. One day, Larry had a bright idea. He decided to fly. He went to the local Army-Navy surplus store and purchased 45 weather balloons and several tanks of helium. This is, a, by the way, this is a true story, completely, totally documented. I'm not making this up. This is not urban legend. This is real. The weather balloons, when fully inflated, would measure more than four feet across. Back home, Larry securely strapped the balloons to his sturdy lawn chair. He anchored the chair to the bumper of his Jeep and inflated the balloons with the helium. He climbed on for a test while it was still only a few feet above the ground. Satisfied it would work, Larry packed several sandwiches and a six-pack of Miller Lite, which would explain some things. <laughs> Loaded his pellet gun, figuring he could pop a few balloons when it was time to descend, and went back to the floating lawn chair. He tied himself in along with his pellet gun and provisions. Larry's plan was to lazily float up to a height of about 30 feet above his backyard after severing the anchor and in a few hours come back down. Things didn't quite work out that way. When he cut the cord anchoring the lawn chair to his Jeep, he didn't float lazily up to 30 or so feet. <laughs> Instead, he streaked into the L.A. sky as if shot out of a cannon. He didn't level off at 30 feet, nor did he level off at 100 feet. After climbing and climbing, he leveled off at 11,000 feet. <laughs> at that height, he couldn't risk shooting any of the balloons lest he unbounce the load and really find himself in trouble. So he stayed there, drifting cold and frightened for more than 14 hours. And then he really got into trouble. He found himself drifting into the primary approach corridor of the L.A. International Airport. A United pilot first spotted Larry. <laughs> he radioed the tower and described passing a guy in the lawn chair <laughs> with a gun. Radar confirmed the existence of an object floating 11,000 feet above the airport. LAX emergency procedures swung into full alert and a helicopter was dispatched to investigate. If you've flown into LAX, you know it's right on the ocean. Night was falling and the offshore breeze began to flow. It carried Larry out to sea with the helicopter in hot pursuit. Several miles out, the helicopter caught up with Larry. Once the crew determined that Larry was not dangerous... <laughs> They attempted to close in for a rescue, but the draft from the blades would push Larry away whenever they neared. 
Finally, the helicopter ascended to a position several hundred feet above Larry and lowered a rescue line. Larry snagged the line and was hauled back to shore. The difficult maneuver was flawlessly executed by the helicopter crew, and as soon as Larry was hauled to earth, he was arrested by waiting members of the LAPD for violating LAX airspace. As he was led away in handcuffs, a reporter dispatched to cover the daring rescue asked why he had done it. Larry stopped, turned, and replied nonchalantly, a man just can't sit around. <laughs> So what's your plan? How do you plan to get out of here? Well, there's a plan that the Bible speaks of, and most of us have heard about it, and you may know of it as the rapture, or you may know about it, you know, when Jesus comes back, maybe various terminology, but the Bible does talk about this plan. And so this morning, I, I hope that you'll just give me a little bit of latitude because I want to read a lot to you. And these scriptures will be up behind me on the IMAG screens, but we just need to read some things about what God says because, as I just said a few moments ago, whether you've been a follower of Jesus all your life or you're just totally irreligious, the fact of the matter is, in either situation, whenever you die, you're not going to have any control. Totally gone. You say, well, I make a lot of money. You're going to leave it all here. I got lots of friends. They can't help you then. So it's all going to, you're going to be out of control. And, 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 and I just want to have a seat at the table today. And, and you say, well, Mark, you've already hacked me. And, and I don't know if I like you. I don't know if I like the church. And I don't know if I even like this whole thing. Well, that's, I'd just like to talk with you for a few moments. Just be open and listen to what God says, and you can evaluate it and see what your choice is when we get through today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, who is a, a follower of Jesus and a, and a man that God has, has called and, in, and invested great gifts in to talk to Christians, to talk to Christ followers, and he's writing to this particular church. You know, we're, we're a church in Wichita. This is a church in a city called Corinth. And the people in this, in this church, they didn't have the completed Bible like you and I do. Now, 1 Corinthians would eventually become part of our Bible, but they were getting a letter from Paul, and it was all about what's going to happen when, when life comes to an end, because they were really upset about it. They didn't know they'd heard all kinds of stuff. And, you know, Corinth was very much like America. It was affluent. It was wealthy. There was a lot of information dispersed, and, and people just didn't know what to think. And so Paul was writing to them, and, and here's what he says in verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. So Paul is saying, I'm going to show this awesome secret that God has revealed that not everybody who is living is going to die because when Jesus comes, and, and this is complicated, I'm not going to get into it at length, but we, we learn in one scripture that when Jesus comes at those who have already died, God will bring them from heaven, but they will have a new body that rises from the ground. And somebody says, well, that's complicated, but this all happens as we just read about in the involuntary flinch of the eye, which is, some people say it's one twenty-third of a second, some people say it's one one-thousandth of a second, but who's counting? It's pretty fast. So God's going to work all that out. But Scripture tells us that's going to happen. Not everybody who is alive is going to die. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the Bible says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, 
then we will be with the Lord forever. So what that means to all of us is that, you know, as long as you're still alive, there is the hope, there is a possibility. And we're going to be talking, forgive me for breaking a sentence, next two weeks we're going to be talking about signs of when the Lord may come back. Nobody knows the exact day or the hour, but when you and I read the signs like we're going to be doing the next two weeks, we're going to see that the coming of the Lord can be very, very quick, maybe even today. So what that means is, is that there is a coming point when Jesus Christ will return to the earth and he will call everybody who is a believer, and those who have died will instantly be resurrected, brought back from heaven, their souls and spirits, the bodies arise from the ground, and those who are alive will instantly be caught up to, to be with God. And, and it will happen so quickly. You know, some people will say, well, when I see Jesus coming, then I'm going to believe. You're not going to have time. The rapture will happen so fast that one split second you'll be here, the next split second you'll be in heaven. You won't even know what hits you except you know you're feeling awful good and looking real good. That's all you'll know. And you're there with God. It's going to happen so fast. I mean, that, that's exactly what is going to, going, to, going to happen. It'd be like, like the splitting of a second is when Jesus will come back. And what it means is that in that split second, your whole life, your whole destiny, everything about you will be totally, completely transformed. We really started talking about this a lot in the 60s because, you know, there were signs about the nation of Israel, and in 1967, Israel became, you know, got all of Jerusalem back, and we really knew we were in the fourth quarter at that point. And so there were, there were people writing books about the coming of the Lord. And I can remember in the 60s and, and 70s, you would see people put bumper stickers on their cars. And I'm never really sure that's a good idea, but that's, that's, if you like it, that's good. But people put bumper stickers on their cars that says, warning in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You know, the idea that if the rapture came, the car would be going down the road, driver's gone. And I, I saw one the other day, and I sure hope it wasn't one of our, our, one of our members who had this sign on, on the back of his car. He said, warning, in case of rapture, this car may swerve as my mother-in-law takes the wheel. <laughs> and I uh, hope, that, hope that was in our parking lot. Oh, we struggle with this a little bit, don't we? Because it's just so radical that some will back away from this and say, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, Jesus coming back and like... Everybody who is a believer suddenly going to heaven. That sounds kind of far-fetched. But there's a lot of stuff that you do every day that sounded far-fetched to people who lived 100 years ago or even 30 years ago. For instance, you know, if you go back 500 years, you know, people just going around with, with horses and, and wagons, and you tell them, you know, someday you're going to get in this aluminum tube and you're going to sit down in this chair and that tube is going to take off. There are going to be wings there and there are going to be jet engines and it's going to fly you into the sky and you're going to be 35,000 feet above the air and you're going, to, you're going to be able to go across country in three hours. Well, people would look at you like you're crazy. First of all, what is a jet? What is, you know, you know what is aluminum? And yet you and I don't think about this. We just go to the airport, get on the airplane. 500 years ago, that would have been thought absolutely crazy, far-fetched. What if I'd said to somebody 50 years ago, you know what, someday you're just going to have a cell phone and you're going to be able to talk to people and then no matter where you are, people are going to find you and talk to you and, and you're going to be able to just pick up a phone and talk to anybody anywhere. You can be out in the middle of the country somewhere and you're going to be able to pick up a phone and call, and call somebody around the world. And we would have thought that was impossible. Maybe on Dick Tracy. You've got to be really old to know who Dick Tracy is, but I just threw that name out there to show how old I am. What, what, if, what if somebody just 50 years ago had said, you know, you're going to be able to set, you're going to hold this, this box and it's going to flip open and there's going to be this, this television-like screen color and you're going to be able to just type something and instantly somebody can read it in China. You're going to be able to set in your basement. No cords attached or anything. You're just going to be able to type something and people will be able to read it in China. Or you're going to be able to pull down information from any information source, any kind of book or encyclopedia. Or are you going to be able, you know, you could have set in your basement with no cords attached and you're going to be able to read the Philadelphia Inquirer or the New York Newsday or whatever. 
people would say, that's crazy. But it's not crazy to us. See, it only sounded far-fetched because we had lower intelligence. As our intelligence rises and as we learn, we realize that what may seem far-fetched to us isn't far-fetched at all. And God has a much higher intelligence than you and I have. I mean, after all, the Bible tells us that God is the one who created the universe. But by the same token, he wrote the DNA code. He wrote your genetic code for your DNA and your tiny little cell, you know, that, the skin that rubs off your finger. God, God is the one who is behind all that. We don't even understand DNA. We don't even understand the universe. God made the universe. And trust me, or trust him, rather. He's not going to have any problem with getting you out of here. He got you into this world. He can take you out. Guaranteed. Your mother used to tell you that, right? God's got a different idea about that. So what do we take away from this today? I mean, this message, this idea that you could just suddenly be gone in a moment and go to heaven. Number one, here's the first thing that you you and I need to take away from this. And this is the big one for me, and it's the big one for all of us. Because I have believed in this since I've been a little child. But I've lived long enough that day strings into week, and, and, and weeks string into month, and months string into years. And after a while, it's like, life goes on. You and I need to understand, number one, things aren't going to rock along like this forever. You've come, to, uh, you've come to embrace certain expectations. You know, you live a particular life, you're married to a particular person, you have, you have kids, you live in a house, you go to a job, you, you, know, you, have, you bank at a certain place, you buy groceries at a certain place, you have anticipations for vacations and retirement and all this. This is life as you know it. I want to tell you something. Life as you know it is not going to rock on like this forever. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter was trying to explain this to us. He said, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. And they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Peter said in the last days, you know, people are going to say, I don't think, I don't see any sign of Jesus coming. I haven't, I don't, I haven't watched it on television. I mean, I watch CNN and Fox News and, and MSNBC and, and uh, I, you know, I got my iPod here and, and I'm kind of, you know, I've got my computer download stuff, but I don't see anything about Jesus coming back. Everything is the same. But Peter said, verse 8, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. I know one thing. If Jesus had come two weeks ago, there'd be 500 people who wouldn't be going. But I know they're going to be going now. I mean, God is patient. That's the reason why things are rocking along right now. It's not that God hasn't figured this thing out and he's trying to make it up as he goes along and maybe he just can't figure out how to, you know, the physics and, and you know, God can't, can't figure out how to get us all out of here and he's up there with his, uh, you know, up there in, his he- up there in heaven with, with all his mathematics going, trying to figure out how am I going to work this thing out? I've already promised all these people are going to go up and now how am I going to make it happen? It hasn't happened. It's not like that at all. It's that God is patient. God is waiting until the last person gets saved. It's, and, and so I just want you to know that. Could, could we get that in our hearts today? Things are not going to always rock along the way they are today. You're going to get up one morning. You're going to get up someday, and you're going to think this is going to be just like any other day, but it's not going to be like any other day. Within that time frame, your world's going to change forever. Or you may go to sleep at night. I don't know what your routine is. Last thing before you go to sleep at night, you know? You may brush your teeth and, and gargle, and, and, you know, you can get your pajamas on and and, you know, kind of plump your pillow up and everything. And you just go to sleep thinking, well, I'm going to get up and go to work tomorrow morning. And you're not. Because Jesus is going to come. It's going to change everything. You're going to go to sleep at night and wake up in heaven. How cool is that? I just want you to know, please understand, things are not going to rock along like they're doing right now. They're going to change. 
Here's number two. How many, how many of you have watched, uh, you know, especially back when things were really getting rowdy in the 60s and 70s and scary, there would be somebody walking around, usually some long-haired guy that probably had too many LSD trips or whatever, walking around with a sign saying the end of the world is near. You remember that? It was in cartoons and everything, and you'd see people like the end is near, the end is near, especially when it looked like it was, it was really getting crazy in our world. There are some people who have the idea that what's, what's going to happen is the end of the world. Because as we look at what's going on in America today and the rest of the world, I mean, it looks like we're headed for trouble. And I, I'm not trying to scare anybody here today. I don't like that kind of thing. I grew up, I grew up in church, and every once in a while I'd hear preachers who, was, who were like deliberately trying to scare an audience in order to elicit some kind of response. I don't do that with you. You know I'm a straight shooter. I just tell it like it is. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. This world is headed for some real trouble. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we've got third world nations that are getting getting nuclear weapons today. In, in my generation, when I was in high school, we worried a lot about nuclear proliferation. But nuclear weapons were pretty much held in the hands of superpowers who had something to lose. I mean, that was, that's what detente was based on in the 70s. It was based on the fact that the Soviets had weapons and we had weapons, but they had something to lose and we had something to lose from any kind of nuclear conflict, so therefore we could negotiate based on the fact you people don't want to die and we don't want to die, so we're just going to have this uneasy truce. But today, we're living in a world with people getting nuclear weapons who, in their way of thinking, have absolutely nothing to, nothing to lose. And they're people that you can't negotiate with. So I just want you to be cognizant of the fact that our world is, is headed for some real trouble. And, and there's this hope, and I know there are people, that, and I, I'm thankful that there are people who feel like, well, if we can just talk, if we can just get on the same page, then maybe we can have world peace. But most of us have lived long enough in the 20th and 21st century now to know that we are not headed for world peace. And, and I will tell you this, and I, I just believe this with all my heart, absent Jesus Christ, this world is headed for oblivion. But I want you to know that the return of Jesus Christ is not the end of the world. In fact, it is a new beginning. I've got to be real, real, real careful about what I'm going to say right now because I could leave somebody with the wrong impression, so let me be as cautious as I can. First of all, I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. That is true. And there's no doubt about it. He is your own personal Savior. He has saved you. But in America, we're sort of self-centered. And we can get into this idea that Jesus is a personal Savior, like I have a personal computer and I have a personal cell phone and I have you know, personal this and personal that. What I want you to understand is that Jesus is not only your personal Savior, He is the Savior of this world. This world was broken in the box from the very beginning. And He's not only come to save you, He has come to rescue this world. In fact, as we're going to see in this series, and as we're going to see in a series coming up right before Christmas, God has destined Jesus Christ to be King of this world. He is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And He is not only going to save you, He is going to save this world planet. So we're not headed for the end of time. We're headed for a brand new beginning. Well, here's the most complicated thing today, and I'm really a little nervous about this before I go into this today. But how many, and you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you have heard, you know, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to shout, and everybody who's saved, is going to go right up to heaven. And, and I just wonder if there's anybody else here like me, maybe not. I'm kind of iconoclastic. You know, I'm back here thinking, but why? That's strange. Why the rapture? I mean, why wouldn't the Lord just sort of like take us to heaven? You know, here you go, you get ready to die, and maybe an hour before you die, God's like, oh, I'm going to come get you now. Why all at one time? This is something that I think the church misses a lot. 
And I want to get into it today, and it's complicated, and I know I'm probably going to raise more questions than I, I give answers, but I want you to know there is a reason for the rapture happening exactly like it's going to happen. There is a purpose behind the rapture. Here's why it gets a little bit difficult for us. And, and again, I don't, you don't have to raise your hands. How many of you read Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life? Well, that's a great book. And, 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 the, and the first thing Rick tells us is, it's not about you. This is the reason why the church struggles with why the rapture is going to happen, is it's not about us. Do you know that? There are some people who say, oh, I know what the rapture, rapture is all about us. Things are getting really bad, and Jesus is going to come back and d- take us out in time. Well, I think there's an element of truth there, but that's not why the rapture is going to happen the way it's going to happen. What you and I need to understand is the rapture is about Israel. Israel is the reason for the rapture. Now, you and I live in something we call, the time period we call the church age. And throughout all the ages, anybody who, can accept, who, who wants to accept by faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it was in the Old Testament believing that he's coming, or the New Testament believing that he did come, believing on him. Anybody who wants to be saved can be saved, Jew or Gentile. In the Old Testament, God worked primarily through Israel, but Gentiles could be, become believers. We see that in the life of people like Ruth. But today, God works primarily through the church, which is pretty much Gentile, but there are many people who are Jewish who are people of faith. But here's what we need to understand. God chose Israel to be his nation on the day when he called Abraham into a special covenant with him. Abraham's descendants, the Jewish people, are God's chosen nation. You cannot read the Bible and not see that. That's clear from the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Because there are people that are Christian and they're anti-Semitic. And 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 let me just change that. I don't really know that anybody could be a true Christian and be anti-Semitic. Because here's the deal. Even though God has allowed those of us who are not Jewish to become part of his family, he has never lost that covenant with the Jewish people. Even in the New Testament, when Paul is writing, he, he, he's very clear that God has not cast away his people, chapter, chapter 9, chapter 11. Very clear. It's just that, it's just that there's a disconnect. You know, when I have many, many Jewish friends, and, and we just have one point of disconnect. I mean, when it comes to the Old Testament... We're right there. We sink right up with them. Genesis, you know, the Psalms, the prophets. We're just right there together. We have the same Bible. We talk about the same Father God. We have one issue. See, from the very beginning, God promised the Jewish people that he was going to send a Savior, that he was going to send a king. This, This king would be in the lineage of David, and he would rule and reign. He would establish a kingdom. He would be the Savior of the world. Isaiah said he would suffer. Micah said he'd be born in Bethlehem. You know, the prophet back in the, in the book of Numbers said that he would, be a, he would be a king. I mean, the Bible tells us all these things about, 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 about the coming Messiah. David said he would rise from the grave. We have one problem. We have one area of disconnect with our Jewish friends. We believe that the person who fulfilled all those criteria was a man named Jesus who was born in Bethlehem. We believe to a virgin who did things that nobody else did, who died a supernatural death, and three days later walked out of his grave and then ascended back to heaven. We believe he was the one God promised. Many of our Jewish friends don't believe that yet or don't believe that at all. And they're still looking. That's our place of disconnect. And it, it, is, it is a sort of corporate thing. I mean, as, as followers of God, we say that person is Jesus. But I want you to know something, that, that even to this day, God loves 
Israel. And God loves, I mean, the Jewish people are still his people. And they will be throughout the ages. Now, I, I've given you all that to set you up for this. Back, in, back many years ago, the Jewish people, Israel, did not obey God, and God allowed them to go into captivity. Today, and, and I just want to say this, this is just an off, 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 offhand comment. You know, there are people today that say, well, is God judging America because America's doing all this? And the moment you say that, it's like, oh, no, God would not judge us. God is a God of love. Now, listen, God is a God of love, but God isn't stupid. You know that? I mean, God's not Uncle Sugar. I mean, he even allowed his own people to go into captivity, and if you read the Bible, because of their transgressions. And one of the Jewish people who went into captivity was a guy named Daniel. And Daniel loved the Lord very much. And he wound up actually serving in four pagan regimes. But it was like where, you know, wherever Daniel went, he rose to the top. And even though he served four different administrations, Daniel just he went all the way to the top. But he still loved God and he still believed God's word. And there had been this prophecy that Israel would be in captivity for 70 years. And Daniel was doing the math one day. He was an elderly man. He was probably about 80. And he was praying and he was confessing the sins of his, of his own nation, his own people, Israel. And Daniel was asking God, when are we going to get out of captivity? I, I, I've heard it's going to be 70 years. And, and when are we going to go back into our own place? And God heard Daniel's prayer. But I want to get to that in just a moment. But before, I, before we get to Daniel chapter 9, I want to read to you something that God gives Daniel in chapter 7 about our Lord. Daniel says, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into His presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. That is what God is about more than anything else. God is about his son ruling this world. That he's more into that than he is, you know, the church or any nation. God is into his son. And so the Bible is saying someday he's going to come and rule and reign. But now how do we get there? This is in Daniel 9, going back to what I just said a few moments ago. Daniel had been praying, and he'd been asking God, when is this going to happen? As I, you know, as I figure it, Daniel says, the 70 years are about up. Now, here's the answer in verse 24, and here's where it gets a little complicated, so please hang with me. The angel who, answers, who comes to bring the answer to prayer to, to Daniel says, a period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people, that's the people of Israel, and your holy city to finish the rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now, Daniel's getting his mind blown at this place because God comes to him and says, hey, 70, 70 years is right. But you've got to know there's something much bigger here going on. How many of us pray, oh God, oh God, oh God, i got this problem, I may lose my job, or oh God, my marriage is all messed up, please help me with this. Will God help you? Absolutely. But never forget, God has got much more going on than just what you and I are dealing with. And that's what was happening with Daniel, because Daniel was saying, when is the 70 years going, and going to end? And God comes back to Daniel and said, I've got so much more going on that you need to know about. It isn't just 70 years, it's 70 sets of seven years, or 490 years. And God said, at the end of that 490 years, here's the key, at the end of that 490 years, God said, I'm going to just straighten out everything. My, you know, the anointed one is going to rule and reign. Sin is going to be put to an end. Righteousness is going to be established. And it's going to be awesome. Now, at the moment I say that, somebody here is saying, okay, okay, Mark, I've got that figured out. God must be a liar because 
That happened about 500 years before Jesus was born, and 490 years has passed, and we sure don't have an end to sin in my neighborhood. Well, hang with me for just a moment. Now, verse 25. Listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven, that's 69 there for those like me who are slow in math, will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be built with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. So what happens after 69 sets of seven or 483 years? Well, the Bible says the anointed one's going to come, and he's going to be killed, and it's going to look like he didn't accomplish anything. But those of us who are doing the math are sitting back here saying, but there's one more period of seven years. Isn't it odd that this clock just stops? at the end of that 483 years Messiah's cut off and after he's cut off somebody else is going to come going to do a whole lot of damage and wreak a lot of havoc now verse 27 the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven but after half this time he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings and as a climax to all his terrible deeds he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him well, I'll talk about this in the next two weeks. Who is that ruler? The ruler is the one we call Antichrist. There is one period of seven years left. We call that period the time of tribulation. He's going to make a covenant. He's going to make a deal with God's people, Israel. It's going to last for three and a half years. But at the end of the three and a half years, he's going to turn on Israel, and things are going to be real rough. But as Zechariah tells us, the prophet who prophesied before Jesus, that at the end of that time, the Lord is going to come and they're going to look on him whom they've, whom they've pierced and they're going to mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Now here's where we are right now. We're in that period of time where the clock has stopped. What the Old Testament prophets could not see was that God was going to do something pretty awesome called the church. But there is coming a time, listen to me, there is coming a time when God needs to step back in and wind the clock for that one last week of years to start. Now here's the deal. This is just simple. This is why I have, here's where I have a hard time explaining it. You have to know at that point, God can't let a trickle of, keep that from happening. Because, you know, we're, we live, you know, we, we accept Christ. There has to be a period of time for us to die. We come to the end of that, and it's all kind of stair-step like this. God needs something that just closes that off sharply so he can wind the clock back again for that seven years. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what the rapture is all about. God has to get us out of here so he can take care of some final business with his beloved nation of Israel. That's fine with me. be all right with me if he wants to wind the clock today. <laughs> Had a wedding this week. Beautiful, beautiful place. And the, the lady who was the attendant for this magnificent facility, when I, the moment I walked in the door, she said, are you the minister? I said, yes. And she said, you got to be out of here by 7 o'clock. And I, I thought to myself, I think that's a little bit like the Lord here. The Lord is saying to the church, 
you guys are doing great. Got Judgment House going. You're doing, you're doing what I want you to do, but you've got to be out of here by, and only God knows that time. But that time is coming. This and I'm through. The time factor. What do you need to know about when the rapture happens? Because you and I don't know the date. And somebody will say, well, I know when it's going to happen. It's going to happen on December the 3rd, 2010. You don't know when it's going to happen. I mean, the Bible, God keeps that all under wraps. Only he knows when that moment comes. But it is coming. And here's the thing. It's just like in an NFL game. The clock is counting down. We're getting closer to it all the time. I don't know where we are. Maybe we're in the two-minute drill. <laughs> maybe, there's, maybe, maybe we're in the last 10 seconds. Who knows? But here's what I do know. It will happen immediately. It will happen in an instant. That's why we've chosen our title today, Blink. The Bible says in the blink of an eye, in the flash of an eyelid, it's going to happen. The second thing that you need to know is that it's unannounced. You know, it's not like you're going to get a warning that says, okay, it is now 20 days until the rapture. You know, you have only 15 more shopping days until the rapture. <laughs> you know, you're now at three minutes, three minutes and counting, T minus T. No, it's not going to be like that at all. You and I will have no warning. That is why, and the Bible has said this throughout all, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he kept saying, kept saying, kept saying, kept saying, be ready, be ready, be, be ready, be ready, because it's going to happen, you don't know when it's going to happen. He even told stories about it. He even told stories about a wedding, you know, and, and there were people that were going out to the wedding, and these women didn't have oil in their lamps, and the bridegroom came, and he came at an unannounced time, and they weren't ready to go, and they got left behind. And so the Bible is saying, be ready. And guys, I don't, I'm not trying to be flip or try it with you at all, but I just want to tell you something. If you miss Jesus coming, there are no more other buses. You will have missed the last bus. So I just want to encourage you to be ready, be ready, be ready. You say, well, I, you know, I got some stuff going on in my life, and I'm kind of sleeping with somebody that I shouldn't be, and, and um, you know, I don't know where that relationship's going to go. I'm kind of waiting. If, if everything works out okay, then I'm going to accept Christ's sin because I got this thing going on, and I don't know how it's going to work out. Or, or maybe I got this, you know, maybe I got a little, some, some little uh, uh, dirty financial stuff going on in my life, and it's not right, and I'm cheating, or I'm using some drugs, or, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm still partying. And, and I, whenever I get all that stuff worked out, then I'm going to, you know, when I get old and, and, and don't feel like doing anything anymore, then I'm going to come to God, and I'm going to give God what's left. Now, first of all, I'm not sure God would take it on that basis. And then secondly, you don't know when you take a breath that you will not be here to exhale it. And the thing that I think, you know, there are a lot of horrible feelings in this world that you and I can encounter. But can you imagine what it would feel like to realize that the rapture has come and you missed it. Because when the rapture happens, it will be the end of hope. You say, well, I, Jesus came, so now I'm going to believe in him. No, the Bible says, this is very clear, the Bible says that if Jesus comes and you miss him, that God's Holy Spirit will turn your inner lights out. Now, I don't mean that God's going to kill you. What I mean by that is the only way that you can really receive Christ is you have to have an openness in your spirit to receive him. God is the one who creates that openness. But if the rapture takes place and you miss it, God will just turn off all those lines. You say, well, I read a book and it said something different. Read the Bible. The Bible says that when the Antichrist comes, that God will give those who are here a strong delusion so that they'll believe his lie. And so if you've never received Jesus today, today is the day.